Good morning, 11 o'clock. How are you guys? Good. Good to see you. Like Kyle and everyone has been saying, it's just really nice to see humans. Whenever I tell like a funny anecdote or joke, there's no one in the room, and it would be Kyle behind a camera, and he would just go, and I'm like, is that, is that good? Does that, mean that's, does that mean that's funny? I don't know. I don't know what that means. You guys remember on Wayne's World when, when they would do the countdown and he would do the, we got into the, the thing to where that's what we would do. That was our little funny thing. And yeah, we were pretty bored for a while. So uh, glad you guys are here. So let me tell you a fun story. Um, it was, man, it was maybe a week or two ago. So my hobby, the thing that kind of keeps me from going crazy is I have a couple of old cars and they always need something done to them. So I'm always tinkering with them and working on them and half the gauges don't work, including the gas gauges. And so I'm driving around one of my old cars the other day. I'd done some work on it and I was, you know, making sure everything was running right. And so it starts to, uh, to sputter out on me and I'm like, well, I must be running out of gas. So I make it into that BP on the corner of Thompson and Broad Street, that big BP. So I swing in there, fill up the gas tank. Um, and it was only like down like a couple of gallons. So I'm like, that's eh, not a good sign. So pop the hood and I'm doing a bunch of stuff. And I always bring tools with me because my cars break down. And so I'm tinkering with stuff and getting frustrated. And I kind of get frustrated. And I'm like, I just need to stop for a second and just like chill. So I went back into my car and sat down for a second. And I had a half, uh, I drank half of like an IBC root beer. And it was sitting there. So I go to take a swig of this root beer and didn't know that a wasp had gotten in there. And so it stung my tongue, right? Uh, the, the right side of my tongue. And, and I got mad and like shot out of the car and threw down the glass bottle and it busted. And the first thing my wife asked me later when I got home is she goes, well, what came out of your mouth? And I was like, well, nothing bad. I, I did throw a bottle, but I didn't say anything. So that's good. That was a win. Um, and right after that happened, uh, of course, two different guys from the church pulled up and they're like, Pastor, we've never met, but you know, like I come to the church, can I help you with anything? And I turned around and my tongue was really swollen by this time. And I'm like, and I couldn't even speak. And it was all swollen. And they're like, you okay? And I'm like, you know, beef thing and all this stuff. And I couldn't talk. And, <laughs> and so I go into the BP and I get this huge soda with a bunch of ice. And um, there's a young man named Zach that works at the BP. And I guess he had, <laughs> he had witnessed everything, right, as he was working. <laughs> So I went in and I had this big soda and I put it up there and he goes, Pastor, just take it, just take it. <laughs> he gave it to me for free and I was like, thank, thank that. That's how I talked, but went out and uh, drank my Diet Pepsi and, and hoped it would help. But um, anyways, and then yesterday I stepped on, I had left a wire coat hanger in my yard where we were roasting marshmallows and me and my seven-year-old had bought a magnifying glass and we were, I'll just tell you, we were burning bugs with it and we were doing that. And... Um, I saw a leaf and I was like, look, this is, a good, this is a good burning leaf right here. And I was going to grab it and I stepped and this coat hanger shot up and the end of it hit me right in the left eye. So it's like all red over here. Anyways, I've been a mess. I'm glad you guys are here. So we've been working through the book of Matthew. If it's your first time, this is what we do. Go through whole books of the Bible. Uh, we're not quite halfway through Matthew, um, but we've been working through it so, uh, quite some time, and we're just kind of taking our time with it. Um, if you have a Bible, it's the first book of the New Testament, and we were in the first half of chapter 12 last week. Chapter 12 is kind of lengthy. And at the end of chapter 12, it's kind of an interesting conversation that Jesus is having with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. 
Jesus has just cast a demon out of a man. The Pharisees say, well, Jesus casts demons out by the power of Satan. And Jesus responds with, basically, that doesn't make any sense. And he says, a house divided cannot stand. And he starts to kind of basically rail on the Pharisees for the, for the state of their heart, right? Their heart was in a really, really bad place. And one of the things Jesus talks about is he talks about an unforgivable sin. And there's a lot of debate in Christianity, well, what is the unforgivable sin? The only thing that Jesus will not forgive are the sins that we refuse to ask forgiveness for. Jesus will forgive us for murder. He'll forgive us for hatred. He'll forgive us for stealing. He'll forgive us for any bad thing we can do. But the unforgivable sin is the sin that we refuse to ask forgiveness for. So we talked about last week a little bit. What's the state of our heart? Where's our heart at, right? It's a good question to ask in these times. Today, we're gonna talk about family. And this is kind of bittersweet, right? Because some of you have really, really good family and um, some of you maybe have not had the best family. And so sometimes the topic of family uh, can be a little bittersweet. It's comforting, but it's also, a little, uh, uh, it's also a little frustrating sometimes, a little hurtful sometimes. But we're gonna talk about what our spiritual family is and what it means to be in the family of God, okay? Man, if you've been, uh, if you've been watching the last, I don't know, couple of months, isn't it fascinating how every single chapter of the Bible is always right on time? Isn't that amazing? Even today, I didn't plan it like this, but the whole topic of family happens to hit on the first weekend when we can come back and be with our church family. And it's just, it's just odd, isn't it? How the Bible is always right on the mark. So anyways, let me pray. Um, if you have a Bible, in chapter 12, we're gonna start at verse 33 in the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. We didn't give you handouts this week just because we're trying to be respectful of all the COVID stuff that's going on. Eventually, we'll do that again, and, and um, eventually, it'll get back to a little bit more normalcy around here. Uh, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app is extremely helpful. Click on services and sermon notes, and you got everything right there, okay? You can follow along with the scripture, follow along with all the notes. They're right there, okay? So we should be in good shape. Good to see you. Um, let's pray, let's dive into the word, and then we'll see what happens, okay? All right, Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, I know we keep saying it, but we just wanna tell you thank you, God. Um, for any of us that have taken this for granted, Lord, I think I was one of them. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship with my brothers and sisters this morning. God, I pray that you keep your hand on all the churches in our community that also opened up this week. God, there's a lot of them, Lord. My friend Brady Cooper over at New Vision and David Young over at North Boulevard and Pastor Allen over at World Outreach and all the other different churches. God, we just pray that you bless those churches and keep them strong, Lord, and advance your kingdom through those, those congregations, Lord. Keep your hand on Portico, wonderful organization that we work with. Bless them financially, God, and with any other resources they may need, Lord, to do the, the wonderful work they do. Keep your hand on us, Lord. Speak to us today, God. We got some meaty stuff we need to talk about today. Lord, let us be honest. Let us be vulnerable. And um, let us leave this place a little bit closer to you and each other. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, starting in chapter 12, verse 33. This is mostly Jesus speaking, almost all of this, almost all of this today. Um, here we go. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. 
A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. There is so much in that passage. So in the beginning of chapter 12, or in the first half of it, when we concluded, Jesus ends with this house-divided analogy, basically showing the Pharisees that their arguments are ridiculous, right? They're hypocritical. Jesus is going to continue to show the Pharisees how hypocritical they are by using their own words against them. And he uses this analogy of a tree. Now, here's what's so neat about Jesus. Jesus uses the most simple analogies, but they're really quite profound. And I have ripped off this tree analogy a gazillion times since I've been a pastor. And this is all it is. Jesus says, if a tree is good, if its root is good, good things come from it, right? If a tree is not good, if its root is bad, bad things come from it. That is extremely simple. Anyone in this room, regardless of your age, can understand that simple analogy. And so, of course, we're the trees, right? Jesus isn't talking about literal trees. He's talking about people. And what he's saying, again, it's so simple, is he's saying, what comes out of us our words and our actions, what comes out of us is an indicator of what is inside of us. Very simple. So what does that mean? That means that what we say matters. How we act matters. I get a kick out of people when they're like, well, my actions don't define me. Then what does define you? Of course your actions define you. Whenever people say awful things, they're like, I don't know where that came from. I'm like, I do. You got some dark stuff in your heart. That's where that stuff comes from, right? When you get stung by a bee and throw down a bottle, it's because I, I didn't have self-control, right? There was something wrong with me before the wasp stung me. And so we have this thing inside of us and we need to make sure that it's a good storehouse. I love what Jesus says here. When I read this passage, it made me think all of us kind of have this like internal box or this internal bucket. And what we do by what we watch and what we listen to and who we hang out with and what we read and what we partake in and how we spend our money, everything we do is putting either good or evil things into this bucket. It's called our storehouse or our storeroom of good or evil. So Jesus is basically saying that what we take in through our eyes, our ears, our senses, what we get involved with, who we're around, how we use our time, money, and energy— creates kind of this store front, right, or this, this storeroom, and that's where everything we do comes from. So I'm gonna get, I'm, I'm gonna get a little controversial here for a second. I don't, you know, whatever. So Josh Jamerson and I, he's one of our pastors here. He pastors Crossland Church, predominantly African-American church. He's one of my best friends. Love him to death. And of course, everything in, the, in America that's been happening has been happening, and he and I sat down the other day and we had coffee, man. We sat there and talked for about four hours, just him and I just hanging out. And I said, man, I'm a middle-class white guy in the middle of all this stuff. How can I be more empathetic or what can I do to, to help bridge this gap and like talk about these things? What can we do? I said, help me understand why a kid would throw a brick through a target or why they would burn something. Help me understand that. And he said something really profound. Jamerson said, 
all we have been teaching young people growing up is division and violence and gossip. And we give them video games where you blow people's brains out. And when someone attacks us, we teach our kids to hit back harder. And then we get shocked when someone throws a brick through a window. All we've put in the storehouse of our society is violence and division and awful things. And then we're shocked when those things start to play out in front of us, aren't we? Everyone's awake out there, right? But it's amazing. The things we watch, the things we listen to, and then we wonder why things fall apart as quickly as they do. Jesus says we have a storehouse, right? A storeroom, and we have put bad things into that. Jesus also says, man, maybe one of the most sobering things I've read in a long time, that every careless word we say we will be held accountable for. Man, that's big, guys. We say things so quickly sometimes, and we don't think about the unimaginable damage that those things can do. You guys remember when you were kids and people would say, well, sticks and stones break my bones, but words never hurt me. What a lie. The most damaging thing that can ever happen to you is your father talking down to you and belittling, or your mother being dismissive, or, or you being condescending to your wife, or you being disrespectful to your husband. Those things rip away at the fabric of our, our own sense of value. They tear us down. And so the Pharisees were speaking in a way that protected their self-interests regardless of who they hurt. We do the same thing today, right? So what we should do is before we go to Facebook, where you know all great debates are won, before we get... <laughs> Before we get on Facebook and start rattling off all the things that we think, right? Not even thinking about what we're saying. We're just typing it all out there for the world to read. Doesn't matter who we hurt. Doesn't matter who we offend. Maybe we should stop for a second and pray about it and say, are these life-giving words that I'm saying, right? Are these positive things that I'm saying? Are these going to help humanity, not tear humanity down? And we can easily fall into this trap of self-preservation. And we end up hurting a lot of people around us. There's a glimmer of hope in this, though. I love what Jesus says. He says, our words can condemn us, but our words can also acquit us. That's a very interesting thing that we can miss if we just kind of go through it real quick. We can say careless things, and they can cause a lot of trouble, right? They can divide marriages. They can divide families. Man, we've even seen what words can do to, to set whole cities, right, into chaos. We've seen that recently. But Jesus says, by your words, you can also be acquitted. That means by your words, you can also be set free. As much damage as negative words does, you would not believe how much healing can happen when you just share nice words with people, when you affirm people. Most of you men in this room, even if you don't know it, your love language is words of affirmation. That means the majority of you men in this room, a lot of you women in this room, I'm a words of affirmation person. If you want to make my day, say something nice to me. Corey, good sermon. You don't, I'm not, don't do that afterwards, right? And then I'll just feel like you're patronizing me. But anyways, it means a lot to me. And I'll tell you on the flip side of that, if you send me an email saying, you know, like message sucked this week, just wanted you to know, like it's all I'm going to think about all week, right? And so words mean a lot to me. And I bet most of you in this room, words mean a lot to you. We can either lift people up or we can tear people down. Words can even save our soul. What that means is with our words, we can call on the name of the Lord. And the Bible says if we call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. So our words can tear down, but they can also liberate. Worth remembering, okay? Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. 
He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. So let's be honest. If we were people living in Jesus's day and some guy showed up, he rolled into town and said, hey, I'm God in the flesh. Let's be honest, we'd wanna see proof, right? We'd wanna see a sign. So we can't hold it against the Pharisees per se for wanting to see evidence. The problem with the Pharisees is they had seen tons of evidence. They just saw him cast a demon out of a man. They saw him raise the dead, heal the blind, heal the deaf. They saw him do all kinds of crazy things, heal people with leprosy. They had seen sign after sign after sign. So the problem wasn't with Jesus's evidence. The problem was, is they didn't wanna see the evidence. And when they called Jesus teacher, it was more kind of this condescending sarcasm. They didn't really look at him as a teacher. They were just trying to be sarcastic. So there was a problem with them, not desiring to see the truth. Because if the religious leaders had open hearts, if they had open minds, they would have seen it. It was right in front of them. You know, we still have this problem today with people who claim to be religious. There are whole church movements based on signs and wonders. God, show us a sign, show us a sign. You know, Jesus showed us a very impressive sign called the resurrection a couple of thousand years ago, and we shouldn't need anything else besides that. I believe in the miraculous. I believe in healing. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it is not God trying to impress Corey Trimble. He doesn't have to impress me. He doesn't have to do tricks for me. And let me tell you, with all the miracles that Jesus did, that was not the truly miraculous thing about Jesus's ministry. The miracles were a tool to show people who he was, and it was a tool to lead people to the gospel. The real miracle is, is that Jesus would save us in the first place. That's the real miracle. So Jesus would do miraculous things, but the whole point of that was to draw people to the message, the mission of what he was doing. But the Pharisees, they didn't want to see the real Jesus anyways. So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves this question because there's a lot of people who come to church and they want to come to church because they believe in prosperity gospel, right? I want to know Jesus because Jesus is going to make me rich, even though he was basically homeless. They, they want to know Jesus to see signs and wonders. They want to, stay, they want to come into church and, and whatever their motives are, and we have to ask ourselves, what Jesus do we want to know? Do we want to have this Jesus that already affirms what we believe, or do we want to know the biblical Jesus? Do we want to approach this text objectively? Do we want to know the truth? Do we have open hearts? Do we have open minds? I love what Jesus says, though. He goes, he looks at him, he says, okay, you guys want to see a sign? I'm going to show you a big sign. It's gonna be greater than what Jonah did. It's gonna be greater than what Solomon did. And he was basically saying that he was going to be crucified just like Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days. Jesus says, I'm gonna be in the heart of the earth for three days and I'm gonna come out of that. I'm gonna be killed and raised from the dead. You're gonna see a miracle, all right? You're gonna see a huge sign. 
And like Jonah, if you've never heard the story of Jonah, Jonah was called by God to go tell the city of Nineveh to repent. He rebelled. God, you know, had a big fish swallow him up for a couple of days, threw him up, and then he's like, okay, God got it, right? Went to Nineveh, and he told the city to repent, and they did. And Jesus said, I'm gonna be a lot like Jonah. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be in the heart of the earth for three days, I'm gonna tell people to repent. The difference, though, between Jesus and Jonah is the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah. These men listening to Jesus right there, they were not going to repent. That's why Jesus says the people of Nineveh are gonna be there on the day of judgment condemning you because they repented and you will not. That's what he said he's gonna be like Jonah. Jesus also said he's gonna be like the queen of the south, right? That's not like the homecoming queen at Alabama or anything like that. It's a different south. That was stupid. I said it at the nine and I'm like, shouldn't have made a mental note. Corey, don't use that again. Anyways, Jesus said it's also like the queen of the south. If you look at a map of the Middle East, You have Israel here, and way down here is South Arabia or Saudi Arabia, way down here. And this queen of Sheba traveled way up, and it's a pretty hot desert wasteland, going up to Israel. She was not the right color. She was not the same color as the Jewish people. She was not Jewish. She was Gentile. And she traveled a long way, and she accepted God, and she praised the true God under Solomon. And the reason why Jesus brings that up to the Jewish religious leaders, he says, not only am I going to die for the sins of the people, the kind of people that you won't even talk to are the ones that are going to come to me and give their lives to me, just like the queen of the South. And listen, I'm not trying to play on all the tension that's going on in our country right now, but Christians need to know this. It doesn't matter what nation you're born in. doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. Anyone who will humble themselves, Jesus wants you in the family. It doesn't matter, right? As long as we will humble ourselves, Jesus wants you in the family. And we as Christians would be really, really good to remember that, okay? All right, next part. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first, and that's how it will be with this evil generation. Now, this is kind of a weird passage. And remember, Jesus is still speaking to these religious leaders, okay? And so he kind of makes this weird shift. Now, what this section that I just read is more than likely about, the story of a, of a spirit that leaves a house and comes back with seven more and finds that it hasn't been filled with anything. More than likely, Jesus is saying to the people of his time and, guys, to us, that we have a limited amount of time to decide what we believe, Let's just be honest. There's a lot of us who try to put like our beliefs. We'll say, well, well, we'll get to that later, right? I'm going to live a little bit. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to sow my wild oats, whatever the case may be. And then I'll get to that whole spiritual thing. When I get married and have kids, then I'll take that seriously. The problem is the Bible says that we're not promised tomorrow. You may not have it tomorrow. You may not have six hours from now. I think if anything that we should have learned in the last three months is, is we can't predict everything. Things happen and we didn't see them coming, right? 
And so Jesus is saying you don't have forever to decide what you believe. Another thing Jesus says is there's only two options. You're either for Jesus or against Jesus. There's no in-between. Whenever people say, well, I'm on the fence, there is no fence. You're either in or you're out. That's it. There's no neutral. And so we have to make a decision. And the problem with the people Jesus was talking to, and a lot of us today, right, is as we briefly talked about last week, is if we continue to reject the things of God, if we see the things that God is doing, but we reject those things, eventually our hearts get so hard to where Paul says in Romans 121, we cross a threshold to where our hearts have become so hardened that they've reached a point of no return, right? This reprobate mind is what the Bible calls it. Now, that's a scary thing to think about. But here's the thing. If you're in this room right now and you're asking yourself, have I gone too far? You haven't. <laughs> if you're asking yourself that question, that's a good thing. What scares me is how many people will get a hold of me and say, Corey, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do this. Man, that like makes my skin crawl when I hear that kind of stuff. When people say, Corey, I know God expects this, but I'm just going to roll the dice and say that his grace will cover it. You know, Paul actually addresses that whenever people say, well, we all sin, right? Well, my neighbor down the street does this, so I can do this. Paul says in Romans, should we sin more so grace should abound? Paul says, no, <laughs> we shouldn't sin. We should do our best not to sin. So it is truly terrifying when we know what is right, but we choose to do what is wrong. Now, so this whole analogy of a spirit leaving the house and then coming back with all of his buddies, right? What the heck is that all about? It's simply about this. All of us in this room have kind of metaphorical demons that we fight with, right? Whether that be addictions or whether that be depression or whether that be other kind of struggles that we deal with in this room. And what we can do sometimes is we can come into church like we're doing right now, right? We can come in, the music sounds good. Hearing the word is good. Having some good people around me is good. So we kind of momentarily suppress the demons we fight with, right? The problem is, is when we leave this place, if we don't fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit, if we don't read our Bibles, if we don't pray, if we don't have community, if we don't serve, if we're not giving people, if we don't fill ourselves up, what happens is we leave ourselves vulnerable and empty and it's worse. Jesus says it's worse the second time around. We might have pushed that demon back for a second, but because we haven't filled ourselves up with the things of God, they come back and they ransack the house. Very, very simply put, are we filling ourselves up throughout the week? Are we doing this? Are we praying? Are we reading? Are we in good community? Okay. Last part, let's talk about family. While Jesus was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, look, your mom and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Family. So Jesus wanted to challenge our idea about family. Now listen, he's not trying to like diss his mom and his brothers. Those were, those were his flesh and blood mom and brothers, right? And he wasn't trying to diss them. 
I can imagine it might have hurt their feelings a little bit. I, I picture myself walking in like, I have an 11-year-old, like walking in and she's talking with all of her friends and someone's like, who's your dad? And she's like, I don't know, who is my father? I'd be like, that kind of hurt a little bit, right? Jesus wasn't trying to, to hurt his, his, his mom and his brother's feelings. That's not what he was trying to do. But he was trying to make the point that there's a difference between our temporary families, mom, dad, sister, brother, whatever, here on earth, and our eternal family. What Jesus was talking about was this, what you're doing right now. And again, there's something extremely beautiful about the church. It doesn't matter our backgrounds. It doesn't matter our nationalities or colors or whatever the case may be. We're all unified under one goal, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we're family, right? We're family. And Jesus wanted to paint the picture that that is extremely important. Guys, these are the people you're going to spend forever with. I don't know if that's a comforting thought or not, but these are the people. You're going to see me forever, guys. How about that? It's going to be great. I'm going to walk by your condo, be like, how you doing out there? I'll probably be mowing some of your yards in heaven. Who knows? Anyways, this is a tough conversation for some people when we talk about family. And I don't mind being vulnerable with you. I've been vulnerable with you guys before. I have a very good relationship with my mom. She's probably watching for the fourth time this weekend right now. She lives in St. Louis. Um, I have no relationship with my sister who lives in Chicago. I have no relationship with my father that lives outside of Nashville. We haven't spoken in a long time. So the idea of the church is very comforting to me. The reason why, you know, sometimes I'll be working at a coffee shop or something and someone will interrupt and be like, you probably hate getting interrupted. I'm like, no, I don't. Sit, (laughs) Sit down, let's talk. Like, I do see you as family because I I don't have a tight family, right? And that's very comforting to me, this. For other people, though, you've been put in the predicament to maybe you became a Christian and it has divided people in your family. Guys, that's painful. Some of you in this room, you became a believer and because you became a believer and stood by your faith and stood by the word of God, there to actually put a wedge between you and certain people. That's tough. Now listen, Jesus wants your family to work here mom, dad, sister, brother, however your family is made up, he cares about that big time. But he also wants us to know that one is temporary and one is eternal. We need to really make sure we take care of this eternal family as well. So what makes us part of God's family? It's, it's amazing. It's actually quite simple. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, who is my mom? Who is my brothers, right? And he looks at them and he says, anyone who does the will of my father in heaven, those are my, those are my mother's. Those are my sisters. Those are my brothers, right? Whoever does the will. So we have to ask ourselves, because we so quickly say, I'm a Christian, right? I'm in the family of God. But we need to constantly be checking ourselves. Are we doing the will of the Father? Are we doing what God wants us to do? So let's go backwards, okay? Let's go back to the beginning of it. And it's all gonna tie back into that question. Are we doing the will of the Father? But let's go back. Let's say that right now, all of, us, all of us in this room say, yes, I do the will of the Father. I am a Christian. Well, what kind of fruit are we producing? Do our actions reflect what we say we believe? And it's really easy sometimes to say, yes, absolutely. I believe in the words of Jesus. So you believe in the words of Jesus so much that you love those that hate you. You pray for those that persecute you. That if someone throws a brick through your window and steals your stuff, they steal your shirts, you're also going to give them your shoes. Corey, I don't like that. It's Jesus. I didn't say it. Do we believe in those words as much as we say we believe in those words? 
Will we walk the second mile with people who aren't even appreciative that you walked with them the first mile, like Jesus says? Do we see people the way Jesus sees them? So Jesus said a tree will be known by its fruit. So again, if we say that we are believers, there is certain fruit that we should be producing in our lives. Now, if you're wondering right now, well, what is that fruit? Well, the Bible is so good to give us the kind of fruit that we should be showing. Look at this. Look at this and compare this to American society right now. We are one nation under God. We are a Christian nation. So we say. So if we claim to be a predominantly Christian nation, we should be producing these fruits more than we are not producing these fruits. Compare these things to American society right now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let's take it off the macro level because it's easy to blame society, right? Society's ugly, they're all... Now let's put, the, let's put it on me. Let's put the microscope on me. If I go through this and I say that if the fruit of Corey Trimble is... Can I say that the fruit of my life is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? I can't honestly say that those things are always coming out of me. And if they're not, I need to go back to the root. I need to go back at whatever my storeroom is, whatever my source is. I need to go back to what I'm putting in me, right? I need to go back to my relationship with Jesus, are these things coming out of us as individuals? Are our eyes open? Do we see that God is doing things? He is doing things all around us all the time. But people say, well, I don't hear God speak. That's because you've got ear, ear, like earbuds, whatever those things are called that I can't afford, those fancy Apple things in your ears, right? Because you've got those in your ears all the time and you're constantly listening to other voices. It's no wonder why we can't hear God because David said, be still. The problem is, is we're never still. Even when everything gets shut down, we're like, oh crap, I gotta spend all my money at Lowe's. You know, like we go, we gotta do something. We have to constantly be moving. We hate being alone by ourselves because then we have to address ourselves. Are we still or are we so preoccupied with the world? Are we so preoccupied with the lusts of the world? Are we so distracted? Well, Corey, I've never seen God work. It's because you're looking at your Instagram seven hours a day. That's why you don't see God working. Romans chapter one says you should be able to go outside and look at the sky at night and know that there's a God, know that he's working. But we're so distracted. Our eyes are closed. By what filter do we see the world, Right? Man, when we turn on the news and we look at all the feeds on social media, man, we can start hating everybody. Man, we can step back and just be like, man, we all are terrible. But we can't look at people like that. Jesus wants us to look through a different filter, not the filter of Fox News or CNN, the filter of this, that we're to love even the worst that we're to go after even the least of these. That's why he came. Jesus didn't come for the ones that had their act together, which is no one. Jesus came for us that are broken and that we know we're broken. And we need to look at people, not as enemies, but as people made in the image of God who need him. By what filter do we see people? By what filter are we looking around, viewing the landscape around us? Are we properly filling ourselves up 
Guys, what are you feeding your minds? What are you listening to? What are you listening to? What are we watching on television? What opinions are we taking to heart? When evil starts to rise up in our mind, do we take it captive? 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Do we hold our thoughts captive? You know what has happened with a lot of us? Is the devil is the author of lies and these lies creep up in our mind and we don't capture those thoughts. So what happens is, is the lies take root in our mind. And what the Bible says is take those thoughts captive, right? Uproot those evil lies and take it back to the word of God, which is the truth. So when the, when, when the lies inside your head say you're worthless, you go back to this and you learn that Jesus Christ died for you. You're not worthless. You're invaluable to him. So we have to take those thoughts captive, take them back to the word of God. We have to take them back in prayer. So not only do we have to hold the evil thoughts captive, here it comes, this is really heavy. We have to strive to think on good things. Look at the word says here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these. Compare that passage to entertainment in the United States. The next time you watch a movie and just everyone's killing everyone, does it make you think, wow, that is lovely. <laughs> I love that, right? That is morally excellent. That's what I'm gonna use on my kids from here on out. If they wanna watch something, I'm just gonna cross my arms and say, would you say that's morally excellent? Well, then no, right? So when we look at this passage and we think about what do people in our nation dwell on? Is it these things? It's almost laughable, isn't it? It's almost laughable to read that and think that we do these things. But this is what we're called to dwell on, things that are positive, things that are good. So many of us say that we're Christians, but we have to step back and we have to look at the evidence in our life. We have to look at what we do with our time and what we say, how we treat others, how we view others. And we have to ask ourselves, do we do the will of the Father? Let me tell you guys, it is not easy to do the will of the Father. If you're married in this room, Ephesians chapter five, husbands treat your wife like Jesus treats you, women respect your husbands. Not always easy, but I guarantee if you guys will do that too, those, those two things, you'll end up staying married. It's not easy, but it's fruitful. It'll bring you joy, it'll bring you contentment, right? The simplest one, right? Treat others as you wanna be treated. The golden rule spoken by Jesus himself. There are two major components to that entire book, to love God and to love others and treat them in the way you'd wanna be treated. As simple as you can possibly make it. Is it easy? Is it simple to understand? Yes. Is it easy to put in practice? Absolutely not. But if we all engaged people the way we would want to be engaged, the world would be fixed overnight. Overnight. Is doing the will of the Father easy? Absolutely not. But it's fulfilling. It's the only thing that will bring you true contentment. It's the only thing that will give us peace. The only thing that will give us peace. So here's what's fascinating to me, and it's my last point today. And I think the last couple of months has really kind of reaffirmed how I feel about this. So right now in the United States, 
The fastest shrinking group of people is Christianity right now. We are just plummeting, right? Christianity is sinking in the United States, going down. Every major denomination is shrinking, right? Most churches are dying. Less people think there is value in church. Less people think there's validity in the Bible. Less people think that Jesus was literally the son of God. Almost every statistic points to a decline of Christianity in the United States. On the flip side of that, one of the largest growing sections of people or sectors of people in the United States are nuns, not nuns, N-U-N-S, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, which means they believe in nothing. And the more and more society is looking at Christianity saying, your ideas are outdated, your book is outdated, it's no longer relevant, we should be able to do whatever we want, and the more that Christianity declines and the more disbelief raises, depression goes up, suicide goes up, divorce goes up. There was a, a, a stat that came out about a year and a half ago where they said divorce has leveled out. That's because marriages have gone down. People just don't even give it a shot now. Why even get married, right? 60% chance we're gonna get divorced anyways. Why even bother? So the more that the world tells you that Christianity has no validity, it's interesting to me, the more the world seems to be on fire. So as a logical person stepping back from that, I can obviously look at the ways of the world and say, that's not working. That family doesn't work. But Jesus is over here saying, I got a better family. I have principles that do work. I have instructions that will help save your marriage. I have instructions that will help save your children. I have instructions that will save your soul. I have instructions that will give you peace regardless of what's going out in the world. We can have internal peace, that we can have contentment, that we can be appreciative, that we can have joy. So from a logical standpoint, I look and I say, this way is obviously not working. And Jesus presents to us a better way. So that's my question for you today. Have your ways given you the results you've wanted? And if not, I'd like to invite you to a better family. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike's walking up here. Listen, if you were in this room and you, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're having doubts. Guys, I'll be honest with you, man. The last month especially, it is hard to look at the world and find a whole lot of hope. And if you have found yourself sliding into that, maybe you just need some prayer or someone to talk to. Mike's up here. Okay. We will also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, come up and get prayer. We got masks. We'll stay away from you if you want me to. I think they have gloves. We'll, we'll make sure that we're, we're staying safe. And then the last thing is you should have uh, gotten communion when you walked in. Now that bread and juice, I, I use the, your, the word bread loosely. I'm not really sure what that little wafer is in there, but, <laughs> but it represents the body of Jesus Christ. That juice in there represents the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're in this room and you call yourself a believer, all of us can take that communion. The only thing that God asks us to do is ask for forgiveness of sins. Now, all that little thing is that you got, right? Even though it's cheap and doesn't taste very good, that represents the invitation from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, an invitation to be in his family to be in the family of God. And if we will humble ourselves, if we'll submit to that, 
God gives us this Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 1.13, when we call on his name and accept him, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one that gives us peace. We can have that. We can live differently. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, I want to tell you thank you one more time, God, for the opportunity just to be with, Lord, people that I consider my brothers and sisters, God. My moms, my dads. Thank you, God. Father, I pray for every family in here. I pray for every individual. I pray, God, that as we've just been through unprecedented times, Lord, that we will just continue to go back to you. Lord, that we will fill our minds with good things, that we will surround ourselves with good people, that we will hold our thoughts captive. Give those lies over to you, God, and Lord, that we'll hear the truth. Father, if anyone needs to be prayed for, Lord, let them come up and get prayed for. People, Lord, that are taking communion, Lord, let them really ponder and meditate and think on, God, how much you love them and, and what that communion represents, Lord. And God, I just pray that you send us back out into this world as lights, God. So much darkness right now. Lord, let us be the beacons of light, Lord, in our community. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we put all of this in your hands, God. Pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have no idea how much I love you. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you guys.